1: to The Lighter Side with Simran Singh. I'm so happy to have you back again this week. I've really enjoyed having these guests on every week. Number one, it's taken a lot of the edge off of trying to come up with an hour's worth of funny material by myself. I mean, after all, I am just trying to find my funny and I kind of leaped in there trying to be hilarious right from the get-go and that just wasn't happening. You know, all of this began because I applied for a job interviewed with this highly successful and highly evolved spiritual being a founder of a mega billion dollar company he was totally organic he meditated three to four hours a day he lived off the grid he built this huge empire global empire So I knew he had the law of attraction factor. I mean, this was so much of what I always imagined meeting, not necessarily romantically. I just was impressed to finally meet someone like this after I'd been in that 18-year arranged marriage, wishing that I could just have someone that was a little bit more like me. But in the interview, oh, my goodness, something went haywire. He was more interested with getting into my flowering essence than being of the essence. Talk about a third eye-opener. He was ready to take it to the mat. He was ready to chaturanga dude it was like downward dog down he was ready to go all tantric on me and yoke right then and there well holy hot yoga he was only interested in opening my lotus position i felt metaphysically molested and i told him he could take his pendulum and douse it elsewhere and i grabbed my presentation and quickened on out of there wow i was naive enough to think he was interested in my vision Mm -mm. The whole time his vision was operating all over my time and space, well, I learned some valuable lessons. It could have gone highly vibrational, but holy kundalini rising, this was not the path that I wanted to take. And I was lucky to get away. I called in my angels. I raised my light shield. I spun off like a whirling dervish, clearing the room completely. It was heartbreaking to experience such a high entity of spirituality and see him behave in this manner. All of my expectations and thoughts were shattered. It was that very experience that led me to comedy. Sure, it's a risk, but I'm absolutely willing to raise my glass ceilings. You can't tell me the sky's the limit when we got footprints on the moon. We've got to take it to the moon, Hari Krishna. Take it to the moon, Hari Ram. I could see myself as this alchemical higher power of serious transformation. Can't you see me as a spiritual superhero? There she is, glowing brighter than white light, faster than the speed of road rage, more powerful than an afflicted ego mind, and able to leap tall manifestations in a single bound. Look up. Look on stage. It's a human doing. No, it's a human being. No, it's spiritual. Okay, some of my southernness comes out every now and then, spiritual. But, you know... I could have a great costume. I'd charge forward in a majestic violet flame. I'd have angel wings with a bubble of white light. I mean, you've got to have protection. I could have a big S emblazoned on my chest. It could stand for Simran. see? But it could also be placed in front of laughter. Oh, but that would spell slaughter. Well, I guess if I'm that bad, then I probably would slaughter people. Well, that's why I needed help. I needed to get some people in here that could help me find my funny and understand how to do this. And who better... Then some of the people that I've had as, as of late, Monty Farber was incredible. He's the Nobody Vista, Nobody Vada He came on and he really helped to open my eyes. And then I thought, no, I need to get the Swami, the higher power, the true Swami of humor. Swami Nanda. Beyond Nanda. That's what we had to do. We had to go beyond. Who was this man? Who was this amazing individual that had a life so much like my own? I had to meet him. I had to have him on the show. And you know what? I've got him here today. And his real name is Steve Behrman. He's an internationally known author, a humorist, a workshop leader. And for the past 23 years, he's written and performed as Swami Vyandananda, the cosmic comic. The Swami's comedy has been called irreverently uplifting and has been described both as comedy disguised as wisdom and wisdom disguised as comedy. He's the author of Driving Your Own Karma. When you see a sacred cow, milk it for all it's worth. Duck Soup for the Soul and Swami for Precedent, a seven-step plan to heal the body politic and cure electile dysfunction. I'm so excited to have him on because I think he's going to give some insight to me, to all of you, as to how we can find our funny, how we can be less serious, how we can find ways to heal through all of our muck and mire with having to go through the old traditional methods. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Steve Behrman to On the Lighter Side with Simran Singh. Welcome, Swami. Welcome, Steve.
2: Oh, yeah, I, I guess I'm Steve right this minute, and, you know, the Swami will be in and out. Uh, he's turbine-powered, so as soon as he puts on his turbine, off, he comes right in. And uh, I certainly appreciated your riff and your rap. That was quite excellent, and uh, I love it, and I hope that you're performing somewhere.
1: You know, this has been all a brand-new adventure for me, and when I was looking you up and really finding out all about I you... I felt
2: somebody so was looking me up. I'm not... I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not did I'm you feel...
1: Mor- yeah, did you feel me feeling around the ethers? I,
2: <laughs> I was
1: really finding... Find feeling
2: of the- up there, looking up over
1: there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so interesting to me. It's I don't look
2: similar. people who look me up at all. I don't look down
1: at sure. people like... Anyway, oh, That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But I just so much that is similar in regard to our lives. I mean, you you were in publishing for a while. You published Pathways magazine. I published 1111 11, and then you decided to go into comedy and you developed this alter ego. I'm in the process of that of, of of learning how to do that and trying to figure it out. But then I found out you met this woman, you got married and y'all just gotten a RV or something, and just went around, driving around, putting on this show. And I'm about to embark on that in August. And so I, I'm i just so amazed that the universe has brought you to me because you seem like not only the Swami that I needed, but you seem like the 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 teacher, the guru, the leader, the the mystic that is here to give me all the wisdom I need as I embark on this new aspect of myself.
2: So I'm all here Uh-oh. to you. Well, you know, Guru, uh if you really break down Guru, it's G-U-R-U. G-U-R-U.
1: G-U-R-U. you are you. you are you. Oh, G U R U. Yes,
2: there you are wherever you go. You G U R U. And and you know what's really interesting is that um we had the reason why my wife Trudy and I did this was because we had no idea that we couldn't do it. And we just simply you know, made a declaration that we wanted to travel around and, and do the show and share. Uh, at that point, she was dancing as part of the show. And um, I, the Swami emerged. I, I say that I got struck by a during a brainstorm. Uh, the name just <laughs> blew in my head. And it just became the clear and appropriate vehicle for doing uh, exactly what I've been doing for the past quarter century. And I've learned a lot from having this alter ego. And and I think that you, uh, you know, once again, uh, having a way of expressing yourself that's bigger than life, that allows you to be somebody other than who you are, even though there's something really, really great about doing comedy in your own skin as your own self. um, Having the Swami character uh has given me permission to uh impart in particles of wisdom or whatever. Um wisdom disguises comedy, comedy disguises wisdom. And um I've had a great time. And you know, if it was just going out there in comedy clubs and doing comedy, I wouldn't I would totally not be interested. I'm, I'm not interested in that. I love it when people laugh, as you probably do as well. And uh I think that we both see that part of the magic of humor is being able to open hearts as well as free the mind. And in that space of the open heart, you know, I say that there's a, there's a ha-ha that comes from the laughter, then the insight, aha, and then comes the ah, when we mm. leave the space of our head with the dueling dualities in our head and come into the ah, the hearty laughter, hearty space of the heart where we have a much bigger um, and more helpful perspective. So not everybody does comedy with that intention. It sounds like we have that in common. So uh, good for you for finding this calling or listening to the calling and, uh, and picking up the phone.
1: Well, I, I think that you said some really important things there that might help, um, because as I embarked on my own endeavor of this, and I've only been doing this now for three months, Um, but it was really to find my funding because I've been way too serious. And I look around, I see the spiritual communities, I see people in general, and it just seems like we have gotten way too serious, that that is probably the biggest disease on the planet. What do you see happens when you step in a room of all that seriousness and you allow, whether it is Steve or whether it is the Swami, to come out what does that really do for people on the inside and the outside?
2: Well, hold on. I think Swami has something to say about this. Hold on. Okay. Okay, now listen. I have something to say about this, and that is this, that the reason why the world is in such serious condition is because of our conditioning to be serious. Seriously. <laughs> and and what happens is we... we uh, we, we get very, very constricted, and we forget to laugh, and this, of course, is a condition called irregular hilarity. So we must have a good laughative twice a day. Otherwise, we'll go for weeks without laughing, and we could end up with humoroids.
1: <laughs> a good laughative and hemorrhoids, Oh, my goodness.
2: Yeah, yeah, because humoroids that is an enlargement of the onus, where you feel so much responsibility. The only thing you're ever able to pass is heavy judgments. No. We don't like And so, very, very important that we raise the laugh force on the planet. Now, you are talking about the, all of these people who want to uplift humankind. They're spiritual people. They want to uplift humankind. And you look at their faces, and their faces look like they're frowning. So, the best way to begin to uplift humankind is to begin by uplifting your own face. Feel what's called the levitational pull. Pull the corners of your mouth upward in a smile and that is, the, that is the levitational pull, you see? It overcomes gravity. Levity is a way to rise above whatever has been bringing you down. So when you walk into a room, what I love about walking into a room with people ready to, to appreciate their performances, I know that they're going to laugh. They don't know that yet. I know they're going to laugh, and the entire energy of the room changes. In fact, what happens is the laugh force is so powerful that people are able to leave the room and actually create farce fields where jokes magically <laughs> manifest in their space. This is called fool realization. And it begins with the realization of our own foolishness. And when we laugh lovingly at ourselves, you see, I am what they call a fundamentalist with the accent on the fun. And that is not to be confused with fundamentalist accent, fundamental, totally different. The <laughs> fundamentalists say heaven is above us, but the fundamentalists say heaven is where we make it. So why don't we go for heaven on earth just for the hell of it? Right?
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, if that didn't raise our laugh words, oh, my goodness.
2: <laughs> I'm telling you, because listen, we are not here to earn God's love. We are here to spend it.
1: Oh, we're here to spend God's love. Mm. Yeah,
2: we're spending it. We should be spending it. We should be, because then when we spend it, it multiplies like loaves and fishes. And we, you know, one person can come into a room with a joke and a hundred people can live with it. Totally proliferates or proliferates is a better word to use.
1: (laughs) Oh, Swami, your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) <laughs> and you see, part of what your work is, is you're here to proliferate healing laughter, cosmic comic, cosmic comic consciousness, we call it, where you recognize that life is a joke, but God is laughing with us, not at us. That is the secret.
1: God is laughing with us and not at us. So, Steve, I have a question for you. This also okay. ego that is Swami, that... that um, was the the lightning in your brainstorm that came in in 1979? Um, is that a way that the average person, if, if they're not really interested in going into comedy, but but they really just need to lighten up? They've had hard stuff happen in their lives. I mean, we all have. That's part of the journey of the soul, and we get some real, really hard crap to walk through from time to time. Is that the way to kind of get through? some of those really difficult situations from the past that we don't let go of? Well,
2: you know, I've been teaching a class for the Shift Network called uh, The Alchemy of Laughter. And so as part of my research, I discovered that there's four kinds of humor. There's four general different ways that people use humor in life. And one of them is called affiliative humor, meaning that you're the kind of person who you will use humor to lighten up a situation out there in the world, and you see the impact of laughter on the group, and you you like that. And it's a very healthy way of um, bringing love and joy through humor. There's another kind of humor that's called um, um, self-enhancing humor, and that is where uh, the individual has a comic perspective. Even if they're not sharing it with other people, even if they're not specifically looking to make other people laugh, they're able to look at life with this perspective and see the funny in life. The other two kinds of humor are less positive. One is aggressive humor, which is um, sarcasm, uh, unwanted teasing, using humor as a way to put people down, to make yourself bigger by making somebody else smaller. And in a certain way, it's a way of keeping other people out and burning bridges instead of building bridges. And then there is what's called self-defeating humor, I call it self-defecating humor, where, um, you know, you make fun of yourself in a toxic way, where you give in to other people who are, um, who are putting you down, and it doesn't make you feel good, but it makes you, it makes you fit in in some way, and it plays into uh, low self-concept and so on. So what I see is in, uh, in teaching my classes and helping to cultivate what I call a healthy sense of humor it's helping people see situations in their life with a cosmic comic perspective and sometimes it's just something as silly as looking in the mirror and making a funny face or channeling Mickey Mouse or Bullwinkle and telling people your problems which makes it sound funnier oh my lover just left me and you know oh I just lost my job and I have no money yeah so if you're able to do something like that, then you have this, um, you create a certain kind of separation, a good kind of separation and perspective, a buffer between you and your situation that helps you recognize that you're actually bigger than your situation. It helps you recognize that um, you are not your problem, <laughs> that, that who you are is someone, uh, something, That is much bigger and grander than that.
1: And then, I don't know, for some of us, we are our problem. (laughs) Well, I I I understand.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a choice that people make. That, that, um, I'll give you an example. A a friend of mine, many years ago, he was in a real estate business and he came to work one day and found out that his partner had gone bankrupt. My friend just like that instantly lost $90,000. And he was not amused. In fact, he was really in a terrible mood, and he went into the men's room and just kind of splashed some water on his face. And when he got a look at his face in the mirror, and he saw this sourpuss, he just decided that he would mock himself. And he looked in the mirror, he went, ha, 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 ha. And he did that until he actually started laughing, genuine laughter. When he left that men's room, He was totally complete with this. Never looked back. It never impacted him again. He went on to be quite successful. And if you think about how many people have uh, had a cherished story of pain that they've held on to as a form of self-definition, and um, they've been afraid to let go of because they don't know who they would be without it. And when you allow yourself the perspective of laughter, a wholehearted, um, loving laughter at your own foolishness, then you can—it's uh, the beginning of having a new story emerge, so you can put the old one to bed.
1: And maybe if if one is kind of their own problem and they can't get out of their own way, that is the ideal reason to allow that alter ego to kind of emerge from the self, whoever that is, and let yeah. that and, and be and the one that's the funny.
2: And, you know, I encourage people to do alter egos, and I think there's two basic types of alter egos that could be helpful. Um, Both are exaggerations, and exaggeration is an excellent, uh, simple way of using the humor perspective. So one exaggeration would be an exaggeration of who people think you are. So if people think that you're really um, bombastic and bossy, then you just be mega-bomb. The character is like an amplified parody of yourself, mega bombastic and bossy. If people perceive you as being mild-mannered and timid, and the character could be uh, extremely timid and hilariously timid, or you might take the, uh, the route that the uh, great ventriloquist Edgar Bergen took. He was, personally, he was very shy and very mild-mannered, and he created this alter ego through his... Uh, dummy charlie mccarthy who was outrageous just outrageous and uh, in fact um i'll tell you two stories these are two amazing alter ego stories um this is back in perhaps the 1930s when ed drew was just starting out he was auditioning for a radio show now if you think about it a ventriloquist on the radio how does that work uh and so it wasn't going very well and every Every mistake he made made him more nervous. And finally, the producer said, you know, I don't think this is going to work. And Edgar said, let me have one more chance and and, uh, show me the script. And so the producer put the script in front of uh, Edgar Bergen's face. And then the dummy, Charlie McCarthy, said, hey, let me see that too. And without thinking, the producer put the script in front of the dummy's face. And at that moment, everybody realized how, indeed, you could have a ventriloquist on the radio because this voice, this Charlie McCarthy character, was a true entity. And uh, I don't know if you know Jean Houston. Are you familiar with Gene Houston? Yeah. He's uh, an amazing teacher. Um, So when she was a little girl, her father, uh, Jack Houston, was a comedy writer, and he wrote for many comedians uh, back in the... uh, you know, 1940s-like, Edgar Bergen. And one day, and he took her with him often, and so one day they show up at Edgar Bergen's house, and, um, you know, she's a little girl, and so she kind of pokes around, and unbeknownst to him, she's in the room. And Edgar Bergen is having a conversation with his dummy, Charlie McCarthy. He's asking the dummy all of these metaphysical questions about the meaning of life, and Charlie... Is channeling answers to him. So when you create this alter ego, in a certain regard, you may be tuning into an entirely different channel.
1: Hmm. Wow, that's profound Because profound. Yes, because we're so used to being who we are that when we let something like even an alter ego in, all of a sudden we, we let down the barriers. We, we step aside of ourselves.
2: Yeah, you know, the, uh, there is such a thing as multiple personality disorder, uh, which is not a thing to joke about necessarily because people are, are, um, you know, they're kind of at the throes of these different entities inside themselves. And what's very interesting about multiple personality disorder is that when the personality changes from one to the other, one personality might have a full-blown manifest disease like diabetes where the other doesn't. Yes.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, they may change eye color. Imagine that. Imagine changing eye color uh, when you switch personalities. So it could be that each personality is, a cert- in a certain regard, a signal that you're receiving. So years ago, uh, my wife, Trudy, and I were in Sedona, Arizona, Um, and, uh, we were in this little crystal store. Nobody really knew who I was at that point. You know, I, I don't even know if I was doing a show there at the time. And I've kind of wandered in and just kind of wandered out. And there was a French guy who was the proprietor. And he comes running out after me and he's saying something in French. And he's saying, grucho, grucho, grucho. And I'm going, my French is bad, but I don't know what a grucho is. And then he starts making these Groucho Marx kind of cigar and eyebrow things. I went, oh, Groucho. He says, yes, Groucho. Groucho, Groucho. And this uh, psychic saw Groucho sitting on my shoulder.
1: Oh, wow.
2: So oh, wow. Dad, Groucho on my shoulder makes me funny, whatever it is. and um, And so... Who knows where where these um, um, energies are coming from I mean in a certain regard um, you know maybe there there is a whole chunk of cosmic comic consciousness out there, and you and I are tapping into this uh, into this field uh, in in looking at uh, having some similar results and, and um, using humor to uh, expand awareness and consciousness and joy
1: well you know they say there's a fine line between insanity and enlightenment and if if the world we're living in right now this reality or if you call it illusion is the insanity then maybe that fine line between it is the humor maybe that is the place to take us into that space of enlightenment and I have a piece of trivia for you Speaking of, yeah. of the comment about humor that, that you were talking about earlier, the, the different types of humor, there's another type of humor that I um, kind of woke up one morning and knew, and I don't know how I knew it, but then when I went and looked it up in the, in the Internet, I actually found that it was true. Humor is actually the way that we release. Um, when we build up blocked emotions, when we build up dysfunction we do different things, part of the reason that we create bile and feces and all of that is... Um, so that we release. And all of that bile and feces is actually called humor. So we're either going to release out of one end or the other, and it's either going to be something that we have to push and squeeze out, or it is something that can just kind of flow out the other end. Oh, but I just that found that... it's
2: called violence. If you release it through violence, called <laughs> violence. Yes.
1: yes. Oh, violence, yes.
2: Violence. I am nonviolent. I am more phlegmatic. <laughs> because I think is the funniest of all the humors uh, There there's four humors um uh there's uh, and they all represent body fluid uh, the blood is, is sanguine um and the sanguine and, and, and these humors are really much more like um they are in a certain way energetic personality archetypes so yeah. the uh, bilious personality I, I think is prone to anger some bile is yellow. Sanguine is kind of, um, you know, peaceful. That's red. Um, there is melancholy. That's another one. Uh, and what is the other one? Uh, phlegmatic, uh, which is, I always find phlegm kind of funny. So um, those are four body fluids that represent that. I don't really know what the word humor originally meant, but I do know that the word humor Humus and humility all come from the same root. Yeah, Sometimes it busts us down to a, a more humble state, whether it's uh, the universe playing a joke on us or like an embarrassing moment or, you know, somebody who is highfalutin getting their calm down it.
1: Well, you know, I think there's all this talk about being multidimensional humans and where we're going as human beings and how we develop the five senses and that sixth sense of intuition. And I think yeah. that, the, that what's going to take us over the edge is really the, the missing sense that everyone has, has not tapped into, and that is the sense of humor.
2: Yeah, Do you
1: not agree? I like
2: that. Yes, I, <laughs> I, because what the sense of humor is is a sense of perspective. Uh,
1: Mm.
2: And, and, you know, it's interesting that one of the, uh, there's a very interesting book uh, called Laughter in Hell, Humor and the Holocaust. And one of the things it talks about is one of the first things that happened when Hitler came to power was he got rid of all of the cabaret comedians because the cabaret comedians had the power to bust the trance. And in a certain regard... Humor is a, uh, a joke is, is like a volunteer trance state because there's yeah. a narrow focus of attention and there's a voluntary suspension of disbelief. So when you hear somebody beginning to tell a joke, all of a sudden you forget that your stomach is growling, you forget the argument that you had with somebody. You know that there's going to be a reward, a punchline at the end of that joke and so you listen intently. You narrow your focus of attention. And then there's a narrowed, uh, then there's a uh, suspension of disbelief. So in a joke, dogs can talk in a joke. Two cannibals are eating a clown. One says, this is funny to you? you know, so that's suspension of disbelief in a joke. Anything is possible. And then what happens is when the punchline gets delivered, Uh, in the explosion of laughter that which the Swami calls ejoculation during after this ejoculation um, there is a space that's created there's an empty space of no thought and in this space of empty uh, this empty space the trance is broken and something new can be inserted in and um, part of the hope I'm not rambling on here but Part of the metaphysics of humor has to do with the fact that most jokes happen in 3s A minister, a priest, and a rabbi,
1: right? So yes, they do. Yes.
2: Minister, a priest, and a rabbi are talking about their legacy. How do they want to be remembered? What do they want people to be saying about them when they're laying in their casket? So the minister says, I want people to be saying he was a pillar of his community and a family man." The priest says, I want people to be saying he was a holy man and the leader of his flock. The rabbi says, I want people to be saying, look, I think he's breathing. So essentially, essentially, one creates the premise, two reinforces the premise, and yeah. three upsets the premise. And we live Mm -hmm. in in the insane world that you were talking about. Part of the insanity is this limiting belief in it's either this or that. It's black or white, it's chocolate or vanilla, it's Democrat or Republican, you're with us or against us. And the joke, because it happens in threes, points us to an outside-the-box way of viewing things that actually enhances our creativity and has the potential to help us come up with a solution that we hadn't thought of before.
1: That is so interesting. That is completely fascinating. And it's the free, it's the trinity, it is the. It is spirit showing up in the humor. My guest today is Steve Behrman, also known as Swami Beyond Nanda. And since 2005, Steve has written a political blog with a spiritual perspective, Notes from the Trail, hailed as an encouraging voice in the wilderness. His latest book, written with cellular biologist Bruce Lipton, is Spontaneous Evolution, Our Positive Future and a Way to Get There from Here. Steve is active in transpartisan politics and the practical application of spontaneous evolution. You can definitely connect with him on his website at WakeUpLaughing.com. He is available for bookings, and I cannot imagine a more wonderful individual or experience to have and book him. So definitely go to WakeUpLaughing.com. For that, and we will be right back after a message from our sponsors, our amazing sponsors. Inner Intelligence Agency. Are you experiencing creative constipation? Gratitude, Donna for real? Inspiration incontinence? Inflammatory idealism? What about directional diarrhea or polyps of impossibility? We're here to help you with your indigestion of duality or just plain gloom in your guts. This is Colonics for Consciousness, Abdominal Access Awareness. Turn your frightening fearful flatulence into the fragrant flatulence of forgiveness. We clean and clear what's blocking you internally so you can experience a bountiful being. Don't deny yourself an amazing external experience just because your innards are a knotty labyrinth of multifarious muck. Let us take your tangled, torturous, tumultuous terrain and give you a glow to your gut ganglia and an inner eye illumination. Discover how to sink your soul into your solar plexus while reconnecting your vision to your voice. The heart is sure to receive the higher hunches. We aim to involve so you can evolve. And you can also visit Evolve Now Energy Estheticians. We specialize in cord cutting and chain removal. Look for some soul retrieval. Let our team of aesthetic angels lasso those loose parts of you. Your frightened fragmentation will follow the flight of our feathered angels of felicity. Come, you got some major entity attachment going on? We can blast those burdensome beings out of your body. We can bliss out your blockages, delight your dis-ease into disintegration, and energize your experience into euphoric ecstasy. Get your glee on, good spirits, and call in your well-being. No more wondering or wandering. We'll leave the light on. Ready to evolve now? Call Vibrate Your Way to Energy Estheticians today. We've got some amazing sponsors. They just know how to clean us up and clear us out, don't they? My guest today is Steve Fairman, and he has written a political blog with a spiritual perspective, notes from the trail, hailed as an encouraging voice in the bewilderness. His latest book written with cellular biologist Bruce Lipton is Spontaneous Evolution, Our Positive Future and a Way to Get There from Here. You can find out more about him at WakeUpLaughing.com, and he is available for bookings. In the course of nearly 25 years of purveying cosmic comedy and healing laughter, Swami Ananda has had a successful long-running monthly column, Ask the Swami, has written four books, Driving Your Own Karma, When You See a Sacred Cow, Milk It For All It's Worth, Duck Soup for the Soul, Swami for Precedent, a Seven Step Plan to Heal the Body Politic and Cure Electile Dysfunction, and produced a half dozen comedy cassettes and CDs. So definitely connect at WakeUpLaughing.com. Welcome back, Steve.
2: Well, thank you so much for your little commercial there. Uh, And by the (laughs) way, uh, we, we're, we've gone digital as well. People can order those CDs, which are uh, – we have four CDs available. They are uh, Beyond Ananda and Beyond, um, Drive Your Karma, Curve Your Dogma, Supreme Court Jester, and, of course, Don't Squeeze the Shaman. And um, <laughs> these are now all available digitally. We also have a digital ebook, two of them, one called Wake Up Laughing, An Insider's Guide to the Cosmic Comedy, and the other is called The Zen Koans of Harry Cohen Baba, which are uh, hilarious healing stories um, that can be used uh, in, uh, in presentations. They are all very, very funny jokes and stories that also impart a message. So um, that's, what's, that's what's available there. And yes, I am available for bookings. Uh, the Swami has been booked, but never convicted.
1: And all of that, including the digital, is available on wakeuplaughing.com. So definitely, definitely um, look that up when we complete the show. You have to tune in for the rest of the show, though, because the Swami and Steve are both enlightening and um, quite laughter. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of the show. So tell me how you exactly began this comic career. I love your play on words. I love how you, you use all of that. And is that something that just was natural, or um, is it something that you kind of developed over time as your inquiry into metaphysics and spirituality kind of expanded?
2: I would say yes to both of those. I was the, I was the kid. I was the class comedian. Was, you know, does funny pranks and makes funny faces. I was the wit. I was the one who would, uh, who would make jokes. And apparently the way that you know that you've been chosen by the ancient Lang masters uh, for this cosmic comic archetype, it's the first time you're in the lunchroom and you make another kid laugh so hard milk comes out of their nose. <laughs> that is a sign from God. And if you ignore that one, as I did, the next time it happens, a green pea comes out from either nostril and then that, that's surely a sign that um, you're chosen. And so uh I had a um I tried to, I, I got serious as everybody you know everybody tells you to get serious and I tried to fit in and I had a serious career short career I taught in public schools um for a year that was as long as I could stand it and then I started an alternative high school in Washington DC I became a um uh an educator I was a professor at Wayne State University, and then a funny thing happened. The best funny things aren't that funny. And the funny thing <laughs> that happened was I got laid off from my dream job, which was teaching mm-hmm. auto work at Wayne State. And uh, the only job I could take, because I had lived on a farm and knew how to operate heavy equipment, was um, working for the city of Ann Arbor, Michigan, as a uh, as, as a tree worker taking down trees that had dutch elm disease and i swear to you this is true my my jewish mother bless her she actually was afraid that i would catch dutch elm disease oh. so i said mom uh, you know people don't get dutch elm disease dogs get it just dogs get it she was she was worried about buster she said well what happens to dogs i said they lose their bark <laughs> So anyway, while at this job, uh, which I thought was just kind of a temporary uh, uh, glitch in my career, having had a book published by Simon & Schuster and having taught at the university level, uh, a funny thing, another funny thing happened. They put this new worker with me who was a brilliant psychologist disguised as a truck driver, and he made the suggestion that we start a little newspaper. So we started an anonymous, humorous newspaper for the guys at the shop, and it totally changed my life. It changed the workplace, and it essentially uh, changed how I, uh, I, I really began to realize that humor had the power to transform uh, mm-hmm. and that I was really good at it, and I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed myself, and I, uh, uh, I amused myself constantly and found that that also amused other people as well. So uh, that was uh, in 1979, and so um, for several years after that, I started this paper, Pathways. Swami was a feature in Pathways, worked as a um, freelance writer. And then uh, in 1984, I took a seminar that changed my life, and it was a seminar somehow related to Werner Earhart's work. And there was a challenge, and the challenge was what is it that you're really here to do? And how long do you want to wait to do it? You know, and I was in my 30s at the time, and I went, well, um, now it's good. And I made a declaration that I was going to do humor. I had no idea how it would happen. And magic just started showing up, magical Mm -hmm. synchronicities. The path was laid out in front of me, and I swear I had no idea how I was going to do it. Somebody said, well, you should perform as a Swami. I did that. I met Trudy, and, uh, you know, she was the kind of person that said, hey, let's go out on the road and do shows, and nobody ever presented that to me before. It sounded like a great plan. And then things kind of fell into place for that to happen, and it's been a, uh, a magical and, uh, and unique journey in um, really creating something from scratch, traveling comic swamis would dance your wives other than me
1: that is so amazing and i resonate so much with what you're saying because that's kind of been my life for the last six months i i got this vision of something i was supposed to do and i hear these words in my head you know it's it's not that big deep voice but they always show you that god is speaking to you with like the gray bearded men in the sky actually it was my own voice but it still sounded big and deep and and i was told you are to get into an RV for the next 11 months and take your two kids and go on the road and perform a one-woman show with song and comedy, both of which I've never done before, Steve. So I totally get what you're saying because when I said that, yes, all this magic has started happening. And as I've gone more into allowing myself to be lighter, there's more magic and more synchronicity. So there's something here with this whole humor stuff. There's something here with what it does to our consciousness, and our physiology, and the fabric of reality that we create around us. And it mm-hmm. keeps us in a place of excitement.
2: Yeah, and there you are. You're, you're actually... Uh, synchronicity is a sign that you're, you're in harmony with, you know, what the universe wants to happen. It's really a, a lot easier to, to ride the universe in the direction that it's going than to try to set a course that's, that's opposite. It's a lot more work that way. And the magic that you're experiencing and the magic that Trudy and I experienced, particularly as we launched our, um, our cosmic comic career, is that um, without knowing how, the way is shown, and you realize that you're doing it because it needs to be done and because you need to do it. It's not about, I'm doing this for money. If, you know, it's a great being paid, that's a good affirmation, but the, um, the being paid is a, um, is a result and not a cause. So yeah. when you're on that track and when you're, when you're doing this, uh, and we really created our own venues. Unfortunately, I had a syndicated column, and so that was a way of getting notoriety when I came to various towns. And, um, you know, there were various uh, expos and New Thought churches and that sort of thing, and I'm sure you and I could talk about about venues. What coast are you on?
1: I'm uh, actually on the East Coast.
2: You're on the East Coast?
1: I'm on the East Coast, but I'm going to 66 cities. I was given the number 66. I'm supposed to go to 66 cities in North America between August 2013 and July 2014.
2: Wow! Well, we got to talk about this. That's quite. We have
1: to talk about this. Yes, <laughs> we are definitely going to have to talk about this. I want to. I want. I have some questions because I don't want to run out of time before all my audience um, gets to hear all of, all of you, and so that they really um, tap more into what you do. And one of the things I definitely want to ask um, is: Are there principles of of healing when it comes to engaging that open-hearted laughter? Are there specific? Um, Principles that we can keep in mind that keep us focused and aligned with going in that direction, especially when we're in that hard place and we don't know which way to go.
2: Well, you know, I I come back to the the Hippocrates oath, 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 which is first, do no harm. So, if you're you want to test your intentions, and I'll give you an example. When I first started doing this, I found myself at this mob run club in, in Chicago and I, I actually had to collect money from the mob that was fun um, <laughs> but I was successful I, very few people were I was successful at collecting money from the mob but it was a horrible experience and I'm doing the Swami and these three drunken guys are being very rude and they're heckling me and finally Swami says you know I think you are baiting me And when you bait a great spiritual master, you know what that makes you? That's right, the master baiter. And, you know, everybody laughed, and the three guys left. And, you know, I'm from New York, so I know how to insult people. And I went, you know what, I'm going to draw a line here. I'm going to put myself in venues where that's not the norm, where I'm not in an adversarial relationship with my audience, where... I can allow my audience to be more vulnerable if the laughter is. So, so part of healing laughter is creating safety for vulnerability. People go to mm-hmm. comedy clubs afraid to sit in the front row because somebody's going to insult them. That's and true. I don't do that to my comedy. So do no harm and really ask yourself, uh, you know, and I think that, I mean, my humor can be sharp. You know, I have four planets in Scorpio, so my humor can be sharp. And um, I remember we, we had, when we lived in Texas, we had a neighbor who would kind of create all of these big fusses in the neighborhood. And the next day, she would be very contrite. And so she called me the next day after some big fuss she created. And with some contrition, she said, does everybody in the neighborhood hate me? I said, of course not. There are people here that don't even know you, and and she laughed, you know, and it was kind of a cutting joke, um, it, but in a certain regard, it was a way, um, a way of using humor to acknowledge what the situation was in a truthful way, um, to not let her get away with her racket, and um, and to break the tension. And, uh, you know, I find that, uh, sometimes humor can be very sharp and not mean. Uh, I remember after the, uh, 2010 congressional election, I was doing a show in, in the Florida Keys and I was just really angry at, mainly angry at Obama and the Democrats for, you know, having, my, my joke is that, uh. Uh, the Republicans are playing hardball. The Democrats are playing hardly have balls, you know. So, you know, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a mean joke in a certain regard. But it was, it gave me some solace to be able to tell the truth about what was going on. And so I, I stood up there uh, as a swami in front of this audience and said, you know, we have a deeply divided body politic. Half the population believe our elections are broken. The other half believe that they're fixed. And again, that's kind of a sharp, a sharp way of doing humor. Yeah. And at the same time, um, at the same time, it's, um, it, you know, it's kind of like destroy obsolete beliefs and leave people standing. Not designed to hurt human beings, but when belief systems otherwise known as BS belief systems when belief systems require deconstruction, humor is our most potent weapon of mass deconstruction.
1: Hmm. Well, you've been definitely onto something, Steve, for um, many decades, just really bringing it about probably ahead of its time. I think now is the time where humor is really going to be that piece that brings people into true enlightenment. And... um, I think, I think the, when do we know when humor is not appropriate and how do we know that so that we, we use it in the most conscious way and in that way that you're saying to open people up and to allow the BS to shift out a little bit and to awaken and expand the brain and the heart?
2: So, yeah, that's a very, very good question. And, you know, first of all, you have to realize that some people – are so wounded that even harmless humor, they can take it poisonally. Mm. And you'll encounter people like that who've been so wounded that everything to them seems hurtful, even when the intention is not hurtful. Generally, um, having permission is very important. So when I first started doing my humor workshops, one of the people with an MD in California he said, you know, one of my first patients, she was a woman who had varicose veins, and she pointed to the veins on the back of her leg. She said, oh, look, here's a map of California. Here's Interstate 5 going, the blue line going right down. And they they both laughed about it. And then the next time the doctor had a patient who had varicose veins, he points at the back of her leg. Oh, look, there's a map of California. Well, this woman was amused. So... Another key is having permission. In other words, if you make a joke about yourself, that kind of creates permission for humor to be in the field. And if the other person doesn't pick up on it, then you know that, you know, they're not conversant in that way. Um, I, I developed because I, I think very humorously and I can't help myself. I I think funny and... Uh, let, and I have kind of a, you know, I, I'll give you an example. I was, um, back when I was uh, in college trying to be serious, I'm in a very, very boring sociology lecture. And uh, I'm in the space between sleep and deep sleep, and I hear the professor talking about social mores. And she's saying, and who can define for social mores? And without even thinking, I'm up and, and kind of a comedic Tourette's. What comes out of me is, "When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie at some more." And of course, everybody laughed, and she gave me a D in the class just for that <laughs> one, which I earned, of course. So I'm still glad I did it. But there are certain times when, you're in the, when somebody is saying something that's very significant, and a joke would break the energy, sometimes you want to break the energy.
0: the energy needs
2: to be broken. So when at the time that's not appropriate, I've developed a game that I play with my wife, Trudy, uh, called I was a good boy, I was a bad boy. So if I say I was a good boy, she'll say, oh, what didn't you say? And then I tell her what I didn't say. We have such a laugh about it, and then no human person was hurt when that happened. And you got to know, I mean, I've been doing this so long that I, I've able to navigate. We were uh, visiting, uh, we were doing a show in the East Coast, and the woman we stayed with was just a wonderful, wonderful person, and she was talking about volunteering for the uh, Humane Society, and she was saying that um, in the in the spring when the rains sometimes sweep the baby squirrels out of the trees, that her job is to nurse these baby squirrels. And I said, oh. Don't their sharp little teeth kind of, aren't they kind of hard on your nipples? And she just burst out laughing. In that context, there was something about how I read that situation where it was completely appropriate to say that. Another situation where we were, uh, we had some people staying over who had bought these clothes from Bali uh, that, that they were selling at an expo. And I walked into Trudy's office, and unbeknownst to me, one of our friends was trying on some clothes, and she was topless, right? So later on, she comes out, and it was a little embarrassing, and I, you know, whoops, you know. And so later she comes out, and she, uh, you know, asked which top I liked the best, and I was a good boy. I didn't say, oh, that flesh-colored one, the cute little pink thing. I did not say that. But when when I replayed it to Trudy later, we both had a big laugh about that. But in the moment, I didn't create a moment of embarrassment or humiliation. It was a silly thought that came to me, and I was able to share it in private because I think uh, humor between any joke between consenting adults is appropriate. I was able to share it in private. We had a laugh, and that individual didn't have to go through a moment of embarrassment or a second moment of
1: embarrassment. Hmm. This has been amazing having you on, and I just want to give the Swami an opportunity to give us any last wise words that he wants to share in these few moments that we have left. So please, Swami, if you would grace us with some of your great wisdom.
2: Okay, well, listen, everybody's always asking, you know, what is the purpose of life? Why are we here? And I think that we are here to regrow the garden and have a heaven of a time doing it and to create a world where every human being can let their light completely shine. And the enlightened ones have called that full filament. Oh, my goodness. Is that not
1: awesome? Oh, my goodness. Steve Behrman is an internationally known author, humorist, and workshop leader. For the past 23 years, he has written and performed as Swami Vyananda, the cosmic comic. Swami's comedy has been called irreverently uplifting and has been described both as comedy disguised as wisdom and wisdom disguised as comedy. Since 2005, Steve has written a political blog with a spiritual perspective, Notes from the Trail. He is also co-author with uh, Bruce Lipton on a book entitled Spontaneous Evolution, Our Positive Future and the Way to Get There from Here. You can access all of his amazing digital products, CDs, and additional books and eBooks at wakeuplapping.com. So definitely visit him at wakeuplapping.com. Check out the Rebel Road Tour that I'm embarking on starting in August. I'm coming to a city near you, 56 cities across this country, and we're going to have some laughter, some singing, definitely getting into the journey of the soul and looking at it in a lighter way. It's not a wonder that average people look at us spiritual people kind of funny. They look at the health ones as little help nuts, as the humorous, a little funny. Life is about filling ourselves up. The vegans are vegging out. The fruitarians have gotten a little fruity. The raw foodists are not all up there cooked up to be. And the breatharians, well, what a bunch of airheads. But you know what? The enlightened We will all be eating light. I'll chuckle, chortle, and guffaw at you later. Until then, I'm Simran Singh. Be well and be light.
0: Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444.